Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in African American Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Adam McNeil. On today's podcast, I have Professor Jean Casimir, former Haitian ambassador to the United States and professor of humanities at the University of Haiti, and the author of The Haitians, A Decolonial History. Alongside Jean, albeit virtually, is Professor Laurent Dubois, translator of The Haitians, and professor of history and romance studies at Duke University. I really hope y'all enjoy our conversation today. And welcome to the podcast, Jean and also Laurent. How are y'all doing today? We're very good. Well, yep. (laughs) At least I'm good. I can't speak for Jean, but it sounds like he is too. Oh, it's warm (laughs) and sunny here. <laughs> good, good, and and so for the for the listeners, where are you all uh, both coming in from? This uh, well, for 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 us, morning. Um, I, I am in Delma, and I'm in Durham, North Carolina, where it's also pretty sunny, actually. Very good, and and I'm coming in from uh, sunny Winter Park, Florida, in Central Florida, uh, and it's uh, mm. it's it's unseasonably cold here. I don't, I don't know about this. I usually live in New Jersey, and I came down here for the cold. It ain't too cold, so I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, once again, thank y'all for so much for taking the time to discuss such an important book. Um, as I mentioned to y'all offline, I was just like. My goodness, this, this is some deep. This is some deep stuff that I needed as I'm heading into my uh, dissertation uh, proposal, and so I just really appreciate. Uh, first of all, Doctor, also Doctor uh, Julie Gaffield as well for you know putting us in conversation with each other for today. So, got to give you a shout out um, as well. And so, you know, really, you know, let, 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 let's begin with the first question, right, for for our interview today. Really, can we talk about the origin story of this amazing book? Well, how did it come to be? Uh, it's it, it. I mean, the answer could be quite long, but I will try to to summarize it. First of all, uh, you should locate me as a nineteen fifty six generation in Haiti, which is the generation of what is called the 1956 revolution. It's no revolution, no, but okay. That is the after war, the, the elimination of the president Lesco, who was one of the, uh, well, production of the U.S. occupation, and an attempt to have some kind of local uh, oligarchic group to take over. At that point in time, there were several changes, among others, for instance, that history should be taught by a Haitian. Second thing also, I'm not saying it will be good or bad, eh? I'm saying what was uh, important at that time. The other element which was also very important is that the Haitian president should be a black fellow because the Haitians, most Haitians are blacks. Once again, I underline that doesn't mean to my mind much, but it is in this milieu that I was born. Okay. So from that point on, in that change of a orientation of our vision of the society, I start looking, how come we're so poor? 
in fact. So when you say, how did the Haitians come to my mind? I try to think that, but this is what I always studied. Because how come we are so poor? Okay, so that was the subject of my study, but it is not the Haitian, because the concept of Haitian, as Laurent, in fact, just went out in the conversation, for us, it is not limited to the Haitian. In fact, Vate, de Vate, call Haitian even the Tainos. So you said, I mean, and we call Haitian Tutmun Semun. Everybody in Haiti is Haitian. You said, I mean, so therefore, mm-hmm. the idea how are we so poor is also something that is linked how all black people or all mestizo people or all uh, indigenous people in the Americas are poor, how all African etc. So therefore, I start investigating that no, in different parts of my life. And this is my BA thesis, this is my MA thesis, and there has always been that kind of obsession and uh, trying to find an answer to it. No? That was more or less how the idea sprout. No? And I must say that I am very happy for those who found this so wonderful and short title because I had a long title in French, as you know. No? <laughs> and that is so simple. That's everything what I wanted to say. Well, we need to do a shout out to Elaine Maisner, who is the editor at UNC yes, Press, who uh, made this, who came up with the title, for, or the new title in, in English, and also um, to Walter Mignolo, who played a absolutely critical role, really, who's, who's, whose idea it was to translate it and who, from start to finish, made the made this happen um, with support of all kinds. Uh, for, so so the, both of them were really important, and obviously his, his uh, preface is in the, the book as well. Um, but I do think that the Elaine's insight about the title, the, the title in French is, um, I, I hope I get this right, actually, like, Une histoire décoloniale des Haïtiens. Is that that's it. That's no, sorry. Une, yes. une lecture décoloniale de l'histoire des Haïtiens. So it would be in English, a decolonial reading of the history of the Haitians, and then from the Treaty of Weiswick to the U.S. occupation. <laughs> that uh, never <laughs> ends. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's useful just to put that out there, because, of course, it is it is important that... that uh, um, and one thing I should say is, you know, th- this is this is the first book-length study by Jean that's that's been translated into English. There's a few other works in English, but for you yes, know, for indeed. me anyway, what an honor to to th- this. You know, Jean has published so much <laughs> and has been a huge impact. Um, his work in Spanish and in French, um, I think, for a while, it has been influencing uh, people studying Haiti. Of course, who've been reading it, but for Anglophone readers, this is the the opportunity. And this book, I think. You know, it really pulls together all of the strands of your thinking over your your long intellectual life. So, in that sense, it's it's hopefully it's not only. I mean, it's only an introduction. There's other work to to follow, but it does bring together all of the major, I think, themes that you've studied in in many other works, if uh, as well. And also, it's important to point out the the work you and Walter have done, Minulo has done, because the the importance. Of, a, of the Haitian diaspora and the, of the youth in the U.S. studying Haitian history is such that it was very, very, very important to have that kind of a, that attempt at a global history on Haiti because there is, I hope, a, 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 a public in the U.S. that is a fundamental, even for Haiti, eh, in their way of seeing the history of Haiti.
because we have not even us being seeing it properly, in my view. Yeah, and I think I know you mentioned, right, this is this is sort of an opportunity for many of your family who are in the U.S. and people, you know, a lot of a lot of people in the Haitian diaspora who aren't necessarily going to read in French um, the work. And so here, having it in English is, is is big, I think, in that respect and just more broadly as well. Yeah, and, and that's a huge this is actually the perfect way to begin the conversation because um, what y'all did was just provide such an important primer for the listening audience, um, you know, who who are many probably Anglophone listeners who might not have uh, have heard of Jean and and, and his work, uh, but Lord knows after buying the book, and we have very loyal uh, listeners who will go out and spend their important Christmas money um, on, on this book. You know, <laughs> UNC Press does have a forty percent discount. Thank you, UNC Press, um, and uh, Mark Simpson. Thank you, sir. Um, and so and so, yeah, people will definitely go and buy it. Um, and and what they will find is just a treasure trove of important, really, interventions and, and theoretical discussions, I think, that really get to the heart of this question about decoloniality that that obviously not only is through the title, but is peppered throughout and weaved through throughout the book. And so ultimately, what was really your ultimate goal writing the Haitians, a decolonial history? Yeah. You see, uh, first of all, in my previous answer, I hinted to something, in fact, I discovered maybe at the end. No? But the central position uh, of the Haitian uh, uh, vision of the world, no? our vision of the world, the central position is that famous sentence, key value of our way of seeing the thing is tout monde c'est monde. So everybody is somebody. Everybody deserves respect. So therefore, in writing on the Haitian, I have in mind, you said, I mean, and this is, I mean, I just, it's beyond me to, to think otherwise. All the Haitians, all the West Indians, all the African-Americans, all the oppressed people, because we do not distinguish no, a, a, between oppressed people. And in fact, in the book itself, I was saying that uh, the black, or what we call in Haiti Negro, the word is not uh, pejorative in Haiti, no, is by definition in the mind of the Western world, the colonial worker par excellence, you know, I mean, a colonial worker is a Negro, period. No, the way they put it, the way they do it, and we have put it upside down, not with a sense of negritude, because the sense of negritude is having uh, some particularities. In Haiti, uh, Laurent, as he knows, would be easily a Negro. We call him a Negro anyway. They say, hey, there's a Negro uh, uh, calling for you, no? and it's Laurent. Eh? Because we don't see Laurent qua Dubois, qua, uh, you know what I mean? He's, no, no, he's a person, and every person is a person. Therefore, by writing the book, my main goal is to say what the oppressed, the Negro in this sense, has done for himself or herself. <laughs> Another element that is important. We, we don't have to say himself or herself. We have no gender in those sort of conversation. You see what I mean? So, tout monde everybody is a person. So, therefore, for us, no, what have we done? 
And this is exactly the reverse of the modern world, the, re the reverse of the proposition of 1492. You see, the proposition of 1492 is to civilize the whole world that is now part of, yeah, I don't know which kind of heritage was that. No? So therefore, what have we done while they were trying to civilize us? This is the, the basic uh, objective of my book. And since Haitians are, according to certain people, a shit country, no, what is that country has done for itself? You see, and this was the my search, in fact. And that's and that's great because you know it's it, it's just so interesting as a as a kid growing up here in the state of Florida, um, I had countless uh, Haitian friends and. Um, many, many still today. And, you know, just kind of just thinking about like, when was the first time that I heard about or learned about um, Haitian history? You know, it, it was I can't necessarily mark it, but I know that one of the first times was in college when I went to uh, Florida A&M University, a historical black college, um, the state capital. And, you know, and you heard, you know, as, as you mentioned before, the the musings of a particular president that's leaving office um, about about Haitian <laughs> people. Right. And, and, and it's just like I, I wonder what, you know, in terms of um, people's understanding of, of Haitian people, um, what it would be like if they would actually learn about the history of Haitian uh, folks, specifically through the lens that you see through sovereign people that you uh, deliver in, in the book. So to me, that was one of the most remarkable things, just thinking about um, how we can even teach uh, this particular book now that it's uh, translated uh, through through the work of, of Laurent and also UNC Press. Um, and so, you know, we're talking about writing and, and teaching. So, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed through reading the acknowledgments and through reading throughout the, the book um, is that this was not only a labor of love, but a labor that went through a number of different hands in terms of people reading and intellectual communities. Um, so can you speak Jean, to the writing process you undertook to bring the Haitians uh, into the world? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, uh, uh, that question, <laughs> you see, since the book is nearly the, the resume of what I have done, so you have here to my mind and the way I see it and with, with no false modesty, a collective work. Because mm. I think I put in the book all the influences that have made me. Now, if I start by the end, I will start by Jude, by Laurent, by Walter, and uh, I say Julia, eh? Julia Garfield, no? or Marlene Doe, etc., or Deborah Johnson. But if I would have to start upside down, you see, by all those who have pushed me toward, first of all, history, sociology, mm -hmm. and then my dear master, eh, maestro, eh, Pablo Gonzalez Casanova, my dear friends in Mexico, and uh, all the Latin Americans I have met during my, see, my randonnée, my going around in Latin America, and then the Caribbean people. You see, all those things have been have been, I would say, uh, nourishing my idea of tout monde c'est monde. Everybody's a person. I have seen in all those different uh, 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 
the milieu, all the different fight, all the different effort to build a livable life and to enjoy life, to 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 breathe. No, let that man. By the way, in Creole, we have a very wonderful uh, phrase. No, the man is putting his feet on your on your neck. Mete piel sukum. No, and to, you see what I mean. So all those people who are trying to breathe, no, to take the feet. So I have them in mind, no? and this is really what is underneath the the proposition. And all those people participated. For instance, the Puerto Rican. Let's say, for instance, Haiti seems to be a country that been the first independent country. And Puerto Rico is not yet. But by the way, when you look at Puerto Rico, when you talk with the Puerto Rican, when you live in Puerto Rico, but they are more independent than most Haitians. You see what I mean? <laughs> I mean, mm. the, you have mm. to dig. This is where the concept of sovereignty call, come, no? comes, no? I mean, you have to see what we have done in spite of everything. And this is our, our, our bringing our being to life. You know, this is what the Haitian, you know, I mean, are, are trying to say. No, and this is all these people who have, you are trying to, to reflect them, to see them, and to translate them in your own personal or communal or national history, because it is not in fact a different history. They are the circumstances that varies, the location that varies, not the history itself. You know, this search for life. Mm. Mm. Laurent, you you, uh, about to say something? Oh, I was just just absorbing that. I think, um, you know, what's powerful and some of what I think Jean is, is getting across, and people may not know that much about his biography. I, I read about it a little bit in the in the in the book, but um, uh, you know Jean left uh, Haiti in the late fifties and and spent and studied in Mexico, and then for decades really worked in all kinds of parts of Latin America and different parts of the Caribbean, uh, in the U.S. Uh, he he has this kind of Amer- this hemispheric experience as well as obviously in Europe and and in Elf- and Africa too, but there's a way in which all of that really does channel into the thought. And this book um, kind of channels and condenses, I think decades of, of really important thought in Latin America and the Caribbean too. So that's just something to, I just wanted to, to emphasize, to add on to what he was saying and, 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 and to, but it's also, and it relates to our, the point we were saying about language earlier, but um, you know, uh, Jean is really thinking from, this what he calls this this counter plantation system in Haiti and from mm-hmm. its language its principles right and developing a, a, a theory of the world um, that is anchored in that and I, I think that's why the the kinds of reversals and the ways that he thinks about things like the the experience of enslavement um, things like the what the plantation looked like for those who were brought into it think and 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 so on he's got sort of an ability to to shift perspective um, that I think is is really important and could be really important for really just anyone trying to understand this this experience of the history of the Americas as he said yeah and I, and I think like that's one of the most important aspects of the book is how much the text can speak to a lot of different people especially when we are 
you know, everyone's always talking about, uh, you know, we got to decolonize our minds or decolonize, you know, education or syllabi or, or what have you. Um, and well, um, got to add one more thing to the syllabus, y'all. Got to add uh, the Haitians, the decolonial history uh, to it, because um, I think that this is a type of book that um, because it's so layered that it will provide an exceptional um base for many different kinds of thinkers, right, who might not even um, study Haitian history in particular. But the great thing about Haitian people and the Haitian nation is that it speaks to the world. Um, and I think that's one of the greatest parts about um, uh, Haitian people and, and, and the history as well, is that it's, it's one that speaks to African people and uh, people of the, Afri- of the Black world in general. Um, and so, uh, you know, at least that's my endorsement, um, as well. And so, uh, uh Laurent, you know, m- this is a, a question for you, um, as the, as the translator of, of the text, um, you know, for, for many people that they might not know what this job actually entails. And so you, re- you, you, uh, you began uh, speaking about it a little bit ago. So to, uh, uh, discuss it a little more in depth, can you describe what your responsibilities were, um, in particular as the translator and also, can you uh, sit back in your chair, you know, you know, look back, you know, close your eyes and think, what was the first, when was the first time you met Jean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that I can remember exactly, really, because um, for those of us who work on Haiti and the Haitian Revolution, most of us will remember that the year 2004 was a year of many conferences because it was the 200th anniversary of Haitian independence. Um and I met Jean at a, at a great conference that was held at Brown University, um, where he was a, the keynote speaker. And f- uh, from there, um, Jean has been incredibly generous to me. He helped me to help to translate a, an article of mine to be published in the, the Journal de la de, Société d'Histoire et Géographie d'Haïti, so this major journal in Haiti, and eventually later uh, for an edition of my book to be published in Haiti, um, for which I'm really grateful. So there's, uh, I guess, translation has been part of our of our relationship from the beginning. Um, and since then, Jean has spent time at Duke. Um, we taught a class together uh, in 2010. So actually, the semester just, it was right after the Haiti earthquake. Uh, we were teaching a class on the history of Haiti that we taught together. Um, and of course, maybe most of all, Jean has been an incredible host in Haiti um, on many journeys and trips there, uh, where we have seen a lot of the country together, uh, which has really enabled me to to understand Haiti on a, a whole different level. So, um, so you know, there have been lots of conversations and connections and work with students. He's, of course, uh, helped to mentor a number of graduate students like, like Julia Gaffield and others who've been, who've worked here at, at Duke. Um, so there's, you know, the connection goes back quite a ways. And, and I suppose that created a very specific, maybe unique context for the work of translation. Um, so this was, you know, a text that I came to through, you know, with having had all those conversations. And so in reading it, um, I kind of understood those. And and I think that helped a lot because um, translating from French to English, which, you know, there's obviously an an enormous amount that has been done and many important theoretical works uh, that have been translated from French to English, of course. Um, One thing that I have sometimes found is that there's, sometimes you read a text in French and it's pretty crystalline and sometimes English translations because they're a little close to the way the French language structure is, end up sort of seeming more complicated than the French original, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so one thing I wanted to do was to try to translate as much as possible the kind of, po- basically like the poetry and the power of Jean's prose 
in French into English. Um, hopefully, I, I don't know if I achieved that, but that was a goal. You know, I wanted to to not just translate the the, the words and the concepts, but also some of the force of the of the language, and that was um, a hope that I had. And I, I think because I because I was able, obviously, Jean also read the translation and kind of caught things and and pushed me back, pushed back on certain things, and so that it was a kind of collaborative endeavor. Um, was important, but I, I think it allowed, you know, so to, to be able to rephrase certain things so that in English it would kind of hit um, in, in the right way was, was part of the goal. Um, and, you know, those are the main tasks. I mean, obviously, when you're translating scholarly work, you also have to sometimes find sources in English. And there's a bit of like that kind of level where, you know, if you're, if you're, you don't, you don't translate back into English, something that was original in English. And so there's a little bit of that kind of work um, that was going on as well. And, um, finally, you know, it was lucky to some extent that since I have also worked on a lot of the same periods, you know, in terms of the historical context, um, mm-hmm. that was helpful. So, but th- those are the tasks. I mean, I, I think it's a really compelling book. So when you get into translating something like that, you know, it's pretty absorbing and I, I found it a really pleasurable experience overall. And, and, and it was nice and reassuring to know that Jean would read it <laughs> and, you know, that, that Please, sort of, yeah. Adam. I would like to add something because Laura is a, has said something there that is very important, but he go very fast on the he went very fast on the matter because Laura is not only a historian; he's also an anthropologist, and it's not only a work from French to English. In fact, Laura has been able to go from the deep seated values of Creole, my local language. To, uh, to French, which is already a problem I had myself, which is an imperial language. And English is another imperial language. You know, you have to move from the language of an oppressed people. In this language, if you're an anthropologist, you immediately grasp the fact that this language carries experiences. No? And this queer language of ours, in fact, is the language of the pirates and of the buccaneers and of the real scum, you see that, of the French and the Irish, British, German, Dutch societies, Protestant Jews, etc. All the scum of the modernity was pushing aside. Now they were they start the they were the first let's say fatra, I know as in English, garbage of modernity. No, and they start creating that language. And it is that language which carry our basic values. Okay, it is that basic value that Laurent, as a good anthropologist, has been able to grasp, to put it into English via French, no, and move it. So therefore, you have a divine between local and imperial language that Laurent has been able, as a translator, to cross. And I think uh, this deserves to be a... a on the line. Mm. Well, thank no, you for saying yeah, that. Yeah. No, that that's that's exceptional. And and you know, like I said, you know, before, hey, this is this is a opportunity for y'all to cipher, uh, you know, between each other, and it's just recorded this time. Uh, so, so anytime you want to chime in, just uh, just, just do it. The thing uh, I would say, just because, yeah. and I say this in my translator's prefaces, like Jean's book is already an act of translation. In, I mean, in it's an, in its French version, right? He's mm-hmm. trying to translate concepts again, and, and there are ways that he formulates things that are very Creole 
you know, that are, that are, I mean, he, 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 he does, he does use the French language, but he turns the French language to his own ends, <laughs> I would say. Mm, and you know, and so it's it's a it's a French that that is different from most people's French, you know, or from any other writer's French because it is it is already some kind of right. I I, I think that I think that you'd agree with me with that, right, John? That that oh, you yes. kind of, and so the words and terms sometimes that you've decided to use for certain things are, um, you know, come out of that already, right? And that I think is it's Haitian is French. so interesting. It's Haitian French, and it's sort of <laughs> the proverbs that are in there, but also just the conceptual the basic yeah. concept of, of being human and what it means to be human and all those sorts of things there. So that's, that was interesting. And so in a sense, it's like my, my translation is just part of a series of <laughs> a series of acts of translation. I would put it that way. Um, so, yeah. And I think, I think that's quite interesting and, and, you know, it's also of necessity, right? We operate in the languages that are, that are dominant, that are here. Yep. Um, and, and we, ter- we do our best with them. Uh, and so that was, that was part of the goal, but I definitely felt that to be the case in this process. Yeah. And, and one of the, I th- I also thought in terms of, you know, the question of modernity is very much an important theme in, in, in the book and how, you know the role of of Haitian people in the in the I guess the question of modernity and what does that actually mean, right? This question of early modern, modern, and all these different terms. And so for me, it also makes me think about just the importance of not only the people but also the history and and really pushing against this question of um, of um, objectivity in the writing of history. Right. Because this mm-hmm. at the at the end of the day, right, this is a decolonial, but it's a history. Right. So it's a very um, and, 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 and Laura, you, you mentioned this in, in your discussion of translation. The power of the prose that Jean brings to bear is just like, damn, like I, I was reading. I was like, damn, I want to write like this. Like, like Dr. Jumbo, I, you might be listening. I, can I write like this? Probably not. Not until I get my, you know, dissertation down. But, you know, at, at some point, I would love to just be able to be like, damn. Like you the, the, the power. local language. <laughs> hey, hey, man. The thing that's also, I mean, there's the passages, you know, many passages I like, but there are just these moments where Jean, what he does, what we need to do, which is to just really imagine, for instance, you know, what it meant to be. Mm-hmm. you know, a person arriving in Saint-Domingue from, say, Central Africa, right? And mm-hmm. and it's those moments, I think, are, I mean, they really are, you know, they're theoretical and, and kind of literary moments at the same time. And I think that's, so that is something, again, I think, and it's interesting, obviously, that's just a, a when I was translating, I was realizing how rare that is, actually, in our academic work, mm-hmm. Um and yet how powerful that is, because of course it is all about perspective. You know, Jean, I will cite you often sort of say, and I remember you in in class, you know, saying this, right? Um, If you're writing about 1492, you you have to make a choice about whether you're on the boat or on the shore. (laughs) You know, you're not, you know, you have to choose. And it's not like, and I think to some extent people have imagined like, well, no, maybe I could be floating up in the air looking at this scene. You know what I mean? (laughs) And what I think is always saying is like, no, at the end of the day, you know, you you do have to choose. You're are you are located, you know, where are you in that moment? Right. And 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 in other moments. And and that I think is, you know, that really comes through. And the moments in the book where you where you speak basically in the first person at times about about what is driving 
you to write this book, right? What is making what what you are trying to and the the moments of celebration, right? You talk about the beauty of the the, the sovereign people of Haiti, right? And the, the mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. those sorts of moments too, which again are are go so much against often what the language that is there uh, for Haitians and even the language that has often been produced by by Haitian thinkers, right? Who are I should add that Jean is very much in in tension with and in argument with a lot of other Haitian thought. <laughs> so there oh, is, yeah. you know, there is very much that, you know, so this is a, um, that is very interesting, I think. And, and to some extent it's interesting because I think there are, there are some interesting dynamics or parallels in, in kind of debates within African-American thought, for instance, or, um, but so that, that's, that's part of the, that's part of what makes the book very interesting. Yeah, and Jean, if if you want to discuss, you know, our new books in African American studies, we always love to hear uh, any any questions of debate or and uh, you know uh, contextual uh, dilemmas that 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 are going on in in, in historiographic or you know in, in process and that. So if you want to pick up on that, please please do. No, no I mean, I, I, <laughs> I will I would accept and confess my. I, I want to say nearly ignorance. I mean, because my knowledge is so, so, so feeble, so fragile on this matter, because the history of African-American, if this is what you're asking me, is so complex, so difficult, and so different from mine from this angle, and not from the angle of both of us being oppressed. But mm-hmm. you are an oppressed people that happen to be a minority. We are an oppressed people that happen to be a majority from the, not only a majority, but most of us were not acculturated to the West. Haiti Mm. is the only country that become independent with a set of foreigners. You said, I mean, we're not Creoles. Two thirds of the country were just coming from Africa. Right. You see, so that gives you an other local history, no, which doesn't make any particularity from the in the sense of oppressed people trying to produce life and to produce joy to produce existence because we have to recreate us but the condition for our recreation of us our, our I would say we have to create another individuals you know I mean the condition is very different when you take to be very honest as far as I'm concerned, the 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 whole process of Black Lives Matters, you now which is huge, important, and I was even well, I said even to Laurent, you no, know, how I think that is nearly <laughs> nearly the advent of the end of the system. But anyway, mm. but this whole Black Black Life Matters is something, with all due respect, is nearly mili- meaningless for most of the Haitians. You know why? Because Black Life Matters since 1791, <laughs> you see what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because when you look at, for instance, the the any any manifestation of people during the Black Black Life Matters of the U.S., no, you can see, you know, I mean, the composite what you call the diversity of the population. You see it because you're looking it with the modern eyes. But when you're looking it. In 1791, no, it is only in the literature, the narrative of the dominant classes, you see the, the, the differences. Because in Haiti itself, what we call, 
Maroons, for instance, no, or what they call brigands, had black people, a petit blanc, etc. Everybody was there, and mestizos, etc., etc. It was all oppressed people who had to give support one to another to breathe in that system, that slavery system. You see what I mean? So from that moment, we become human beings, no, by acknowledging that all life matters. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't misinterpret all life matters because I've been in the U.S. and I know some people want to oppose to Black Lives Matters or Life Matters with some political intention, which I don't have. I don't know if I made myself clear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, de- yeah definitely. <laughs> I, I, no? I got you. Okay. No, so therefore, as far as our con- we are concerned, the history of Haiti is based on that. And word- wordly enough, no, it is through, in fact, certain certain resistance uh, ideologies in the West, in the West, eh? basically through Marxism, that mm-hmm. the element of ethnicities and racialization is coming back to certain certain sectors of our uh, of Haitian intellectuality, but from the point of view of the Haitian. A majorities of the masses, what they used to call the masses, no, there has never been a, a, a question of black life matters. They will tell you, is there other other life? Hmm. Is when, for instance, the US is saying black is beautiful, Haitian will say, is there anything else? Because they don't see anything else but black. You see what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so the location and the history of the country, no? Because uh, this is key to the, uh, uh, to the understanding of the world and oppressed people is creating as opposed to the world a dominant people is creating. When you take the whole history of capitalism, you will see that capitalism started with dismembering the communities, no? And creating individuals, no, and through the creation of these individuals, no, you will end up having uh, citizens which will speak through the state. But this is feasible. This gives you a, a whole a whole itinerary if you are in a country with one ethnicity, like Europe, like England at that time when capitalism started, etc., etc., but if you are in a country like Haiti, for instance, like a plantation system, for instance, what happened? When you come with dismembered labor force coming from Africa, from different tribes, from 24 ethnic, etc., etc., this group of people has no chance of being one day part of a citizenry that will participate in the state. What do they do, therefore? The element to understand them, it is not the individuals that get together or that reconstruct their community. It's the community that will recreate the individuals. I don't know if I made myself clear. Mm-hmm. You see, for us, the LACU is the basis to create the individuals. While for, U- for UK capitalism, it's the destruction of the communes that will create the individuals, you see. And these individuals, at some point in time, will tell the king, or, or in France, they will they will have the revolution, they will have democracy, they will have republics, 
or in the U in the UK with their uh, own history, they will have a how to call that? Like the Bill of Rights, etc., etc., coming out. In our case, if we were to have a Bill of Rights, it will be the Bill of Rights of the communities, the Bill of Rights of the Laku, not the Bill of Rights of the individuals, because the individuals is is a creation of a community that is still the shield of the individuals. I don't know if, you see, I don't know if I made myself clear. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought I might do, because I there's a there's a phrase at the beginning of the book that I, I think kind of condenses this really nicely. If, if you'll permit, Jean, or yeah. I might just read. Yeah, um, go on, it's go on. right in the, it's in the introduction. And it's one of, I mean, one of my favorite passages where you, you just sort of say, you speak to the, to the reader um, from this perspective you've been describing and sort of, you say, um, if readers ask what I have learned from writing this yeah. book that now, that I now offer to them, my answer is that above all in how I live my personal life, I no longer see my ancestors as former slaves. I don't even think of them as a dominated class. Their misery is only the most superficial aspect of their reality. It is the reality that colonialists prefer to emphasize, along with those among them who oppose the cruelty of some colonists, but don't ultimately reject colonization itself. Having finished this book, I've come to realize that my ancestors, as individuals and as a group, never stopped resisting slavery and domination. I am the child of a collective of fighters, not of the vanquished. I have chosen to venerate them, to honor these captives reduced to slavery and those emancipated as a reward for their service to colonialism. Um, so, I, But I, that phrase, I am the child of a collective of fighters, not of the vanquished. And it made me think, I remember I, I did have, at one point, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates about Haitian history and the Haitian Revolution. And um, I just remember he, at a moment he sort of said, you know, one re- you realize when speaking to Haitians th- that, that they won the war. You know, they they know that they won the war. Right. And they and that that doesn't mean that there haven't been all kinds of, you know, battles since then. But there's this kind of and I think that's part of what John's saying. And and it's not just that they won the war of independence, um, but that even before that, they they did not they did not follow. You know, they they, and and the, the passages in the book where Jean sort of says, you know, they would have known, of course, that slavery is totally illegitimate and that this whole system is crazy, basically, and that they had been put into this insane situation. But they never mm-hmm. thought that they were slaves. They just, exactly. they might they might have understood that other people believed that they were and that they had to sort of deal with that and negotiate with those people. But that's not the same, right? And it's it's a very powerful point. And we we have this, of course, people make this point here, right, in, in terms of terminology and thinking about using enslaved or captive. But the, mm-hmm. the way that he kind of works through that, I, I, I recommend highly, <laughs> let's say, after years of having studied, you know, sort of read lots of books about the history of slavery, I found those particular passages I, uh, kind of a must read for um, for people thinking about that. Oof. And in that particular passage, the, um, like, the, I was actually, you know, it's funny. I was, I was trying to find that particular passage uh, to, to, so, so this is actually perfect um, because that passage brings up so much. It, it, I don't know how many lines that was, but that can encapsulate debate at least that I've seen over the, like the last couple years, just the discussion, especially in public discourse about, you know, uh, being, you know, as a, as a, as a African-American myself, um, you know, seeing myself and seeing my ancestors, but also what we call them is important. And also the the word reduced, 
I think reduced to slavery, I think did Mm -hmm. so much work right there because they were not this legal term, right? They were people reduced to, right? But they they were as as humans, right? As people. And And I think just reading that passage in right the the question of social death and you know in this afro pessimist um lens i think is just i think for all of those reading you know that that particular book i think you need to add another to kind of um to balance shall we say um that's an interesting point interesting point you're Mm -hmm. so right adam because for instance from it's so ridiculous to think of the slave being socially dead, because in that case, you cannot have a slave revolution. Dead people can't make a revolution. Amen. So, <laughs> you saw that. So, so the idea, uh, it, it, the reverse, is that precisely the basic of it is your sovereignty. You have never for a second your sovereignty. Even if you were seen reduced to slavery, if you were enslaved, you were still sovereign. Why were you sovereign? But the very proof is that the fellow has to beat you up. Because if you are not sovereign, he would need no violence on you. He will mm-hmm. need no police. He will be no lynching. Because the fact that he has to lynch you and to make pressure on you is the best proof that you are sovereign. And you take decision and you oppose him and you're looking at him with so much defense, he already annoyed. Because you're looking at him, they will say in Haiti, how's that in English? Put yeah, lower, your, lower your eyes. Lower your eyes. You know mm. what I mean? Because this is already a defiance. This is already, I challenge you. You see, uh, this is very important. And uh, if I may give an example of a carnival song that I was discussing last week, the fellow mm. is saying he is a maroon. He say, and this is a carnival song. I mean, we are enjoying ourselves. He say, tell them, tell them I'm living in communality. And all my family is living in criminality. I mean, but it's not that I am a criminal. No, I am behaving at, as while you call criminal, and I choose to defy you. You see what I mean? I am celebrating life, <laughs> you know, in, in Creole. Tell them I am living in criminality. Tell them my family totally is living as criminal because we are maroon. We are bandit, we are brigand, what you call brigand. But in fact, and this is the whole book of a, bio, a biography of a, of a maroon, of Esteban Montejo, if I'm not. A, no, no. The mm-hmm. maroon name is Esteban Montejo, the Cuban one. Anyway, so the idea is that you are always you. And this is, this is something that is beyond enslavement beyond the possibility of the master to own you. No? And once you are yourself, you are indeed fragile, you are indeed feeble, and to save the little wealth you have, which is your will, you will exactly create a group, a community, and this community will shield you all your life. So therefore, the, 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 the breaking your individuality from the communal uh, group is something it is nearly unthinkable. But once you are in the group, it is absolutely ridiculous to speak of you as as a slave, as an. You see what I mean? It is ridiculous. 
because mm-hmm. you are in the group and the group will define your personality. The group will tell you what an individual is. And this is where you come back to this basic principle. Everybody is a person. You said, I mean, so mm-hmm. once you move from that point, no, you have a, a whole different construction. A whole different construction that will, in the case of Haiti, put you against the state. The state being now the government as you inherited, as a system inherited from the colonial world. You see what I mean? You have your mm-hmm. nation, your community versus the state. Now, at no point in time, the state is capable of, uh, of uh, defining your horizon. On the contrary, your horizon exists because you're against the state. You see, and this is true all over. This is true for any oppressed person because the state is oppression. You know, obviously, if you're a French fellow or a British, uh, but I say French because this is the, I have more inf- information on that. At some point in time, these individuals will get rid of the king, they will create uh, their republic, and they will have le peuple souverain, or the sovereign people. And this will be the basis of the French uh, system of the republic, and it is supposed to be the basis for the state to work. But as you and, and, and Laurent knows well, but this doesn't mm-hmm. prevent you to have enslaved, because they are not part of your society, they are not person. You see what I mean? So from Mm -hmm. my point of view, in Haiti, and when I mean in Haiti, I mean in all the majority people that are oppressed by colonial colonial states. And I mean by that the whole of America, the whole of Africa, etc., 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 we are the majority. The dominant people, the people, bureaucrats or uh, entrepreneurs or those who are representing the West, no? As soon as they leave in Europe or the U.S., they are the minority. Right. No, and this is one of the things we have to realize. In Haiti, no more than 10% of the population is really a, a acculturated to a French or Western ways. You see, etc. Amen. Yeah, and, and and I think that this is very important for um for, for for everyone to hear in terms of this this decolonial and um you know uh, Laurent you you had a passage uh that discussed in 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 your uh note um about the Haitian nation versus I believe the Haitian state um and, and it said uh this shift this disobedience this drive toward independent thought is a fundamental step to decolonial freedom. Um, while discussing the the formation of the Haitian nation despite the Haitian state. And um so 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 I just think All that right. there's there there's just so much. And and so actually uh Jean on, on that point, can you can you discuss for those who um might, you know, so so who are getting ready to read the book about the how you came to this uh this 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 um separation um, between the the Haitian nation and the uh, despite the the Haitian state, yes, indeed, uh, because uh, I must say that uh, in French, no, in the language, no, state mm-hmm. and government are different matters, no. 
And there is even a sentence, I don't know for the British, even though I think it's this sentence is from, from a Brit, which says that the state is what is what exists, what continues when the government fell down. When you change government, the state is there still. It's like the state is what remains when the government is gone or when, exactly, it, when the government... Exactly. This, it's, it's that, that it's remains, remains, I think, is the case. You know, I yeah. mean, this mm-hmm. is the structure. Okay, that structure, you know, when you go through history, at least through the French history, appears at some... Uh, also the Spanish history, appears at some point in time when the feudal lords, tired of fighting each other, decide to, let's say, let, let, let's stop fighting. Let's agree on something. And somebody will uh, will uh, be responsible for this for this alliance, and this somebody will call that somebody the queen or the king or the sovereign. C'est le souverain, the sovereign. Okay, so the sovereign will uh, put order in the system and is in charge of. It is a kind of a, a kind of a, a chef d'orchestre, no? The one who is responsible for the music, no? And this is why when the king died. Long live the king, because there is another one coming, because he's not himself. It is the alliance that will continue. And he is in charge also of looking at a government. Okay. Now, in countries of the third world, particularly in the plantation system, or even countries like Canada, they do not even use the word state. They, 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 they use to, to speak about the civil service, the civil servant, the la fonction publique, the public function. Because mm-hmm. because they, they they put state and government in one being. This is true under the colonial world. Because the enslaved, which was ninety percent or I don't know more of the population, is not a citizen. And those who are landowners or whatever it is, they are landowners. They are on the on the at the at the at the what's that? at the mercy of the of, of the king. You know, I mean, the king decides, and the king gives you land. In fact, he didn't even give you land. He, he, you are, you rented the land from the king. The king can't take it anytime. And precisely, Saint-Domingue is part of the king's uh, possession, etc., etc. So therefore, when you oppose the king and you're going to move toward what is the biggest production, the biggest, I don't know, a performance of the French state when you move toward republic, the republic, when you have the whole people deciding who is going to govern. I mean that the peuple souverain, the sovereign people deciding of the system. No, in that moment, you will have state, which is the constitution. In government, and you have four, five, six different republics going all the 19th century, etc., etc. Of France from 1789 to nowadays, we have a series of republics going around, and the state remains. Okay, so when you're looking at Haiti now, you have to ask yourself what happened when a good day those people decided that uh, uh, we are going to have to give those people the emancipation because the British and the Spaniards and the brigands are going to take the country from us. And you decide from one day to another that 90% of the population will become citizens. What do you call citizens, therefore? No, and you have to make a definition. There are no more slaves. They are cultivators. They cannot leave the 
the, the plantation, all sort of uh, an irrationalities, to put it that way, no? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so <laughs> when you make that decision, the nation, I mean the population, do you think they are going to discuss and to negotiate their rights within the framework you are offering? You said, I mean, why is right. it that you had to send so, such an army to, to subdue them? Because they were, they were sovereign, because they had taken decisions that didn't suit you. You see my point? So this is how you have to make a de- uh, you have to delink nation from state. And you have to look at not the theoretical definition of nation, but the anthropological, ethnological, th- I don't know what word, sociological path <laughs> followed by the individuals to create a unit which you have to call nation. No? And this nation no, will have to, to, uh, to measure itself to the government, which happened to call itself state. Mm. Mm. And and that actually is a great discussion that can really go towards my next question, which you know to invoke um, the 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 words and the thoughts of the great uh, Robin D G Kelly um, here, right? Because you're speaking about the nation versus the state, um, specifically about the importance of the sovereign people uh, of Haiti. Um, this makes me think about freedom dreams, right? And it makes me think about the audacious ones that we all have. And so, uh, for the for the ones that you wanna that you're okay divulging, um, you know, I'm sure there there are some that uh, we're gonna keep fugitive here. Uh, but for the ones above surface, um, can you describe what? And this goes for both of you. Um, what are both of your most audacious freedom dreams that once again you're okay with divulging on tape? Laura, I give you front. <laughs> oh no, you're the one who's supposed to take. <laughs> I mean, I, okay. I do. Well, the one you know, it's interesting because the first thing I thought was that um, there are so many ways in which those dreams are already kind of reality in Haiti. Which, in the sense of you know, one of the things I've learned from from Jean to understand is the kind of way that people think of land, right, and the lacou and the future, mm-hmm. right, and guaranteeing guaranteeing that that there will be land for your descendants by the way that that sort of land tenure is structured in, in Haitian society. Right. So um, this radical assertion that there will be a future, that the future will be sovereign, you know, that people will continue to be autonomous uh, really to some extent, almost no matter what will come at them. Right. Because Haiti's born out of this, this, this overthrow of this incredibly strong, you know, slave system, right? This it's incredibly strong, powerful system that locked people. Um, the kind of overthrow of that, but then more importantly, the creation of structures that that guarantee uh, that it can't return, right? That that system can't return. So there's an in a way, it's a it's a kind of haunting of that of that system. Um, but also that sense of the the dream essentially is already is is present in the sense that uh, that the the absolute assertion of of sovereignty into the future right um against every against everything that the that the colonial system insists right which is like you know you must disappear um you must you can't be sovereign you can't be who you are you must only kind of fit into categories right that we have all of the things that jean explains in the book so um you know, so I think obviously the dream would be that 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 all of the constraints and limitations placed on that 
set of set of ideals um, you know could be overcome right so that there could be a, a, a more of a flourishing because obviously there have been so many constraints um, but so I guess yeah so my response sort of like the the dream is there although it's obviously you know it, it's, it continues to be um, contained or, or refused in so many see, ways and what could be done if it was to flourish right you see this is exactly what the, I like to call in the book la liberté sans frontières you have a freedom without border. And mm. I think Nick Nesbitt has a nice sentence where he speaks about the freedom of inventing something that did not exist before. You can't think of anything. Mm. And what Laurent told you about the land, we can say that about family. Imagine mm. the person coming from Africa, no? He, as I like to repeat after to say Louverture, naked like uh, a worm, no? Ver uh, de terre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you know one, what I mean. Yeah. He come like uh, he or she comes like that. No, there is no gender among them, etc., etc. And they have to create a family, a family in a dominant system that think of the Judeo-Christian patriarchal male, etc., etc., etc. Family. How is going to create a family? And he's going to invent plasage. He's going to invent. A, a, a new family that doesn't fit in any in any of the of the codes of the straight jackets that the West is offering. No, same thing. He will invent a use of the land that does not fit in those in the system of private property they are thinking about. So therefore, you have a family where, in fact, up to now, you you have difficulties in defining it as far as I'm concerned, because it is the whole community which is the family. What you see every day in those in those migration process, no? when a kid is entrusted to a neighbor, because the neighbor is nearly the mother or the, or the father of the kid, because the kid belongs to a community, and the whole community takes care of the kid. So therefore, you have to invent something, a type of family, that is beyond the norm of the West. But not only it is beyond the norm of the West. I was uh, uh, talking about family, telling my friends, know that all of us Haitian today, 2020, our grand, the generation of our grandparents, none of them were married. We are all placé. I mean, we live in free union, no? And the whole country have been like that for not only two centuries, but long enough to assist the West coming to that, because look at the young people today in the in France or in the US. They don't get married anymore. That is flat stupid <laughs> from their point of view. <laughs> you see what I mean? So we have had that all the time. And during 200 years, the church, the all sort of church, no, has spent their time attacking this free union we have, this free way. And well, I will not, uh, I will never finish. On, on mentioning the number of negative things that is being said on the Haitian family, by the way, the Caribbean family in general, because precisely the community is, in fact, the responsible the, in last instance for the new generation coming in. You see, and this is precisely one of, of what the West call underdevelopment, because the system of education, for instance, cannot follow that's that uh, that uh, renewal of the that way of renewing the population. You see what I mean. So mm-hmm. therefore, when you take a country like Haiti or Saint Domingue, 
where the population during 100 years from the when the French took over until the independence cannot reproduce itself, where you always have had more people born in Africa than local locally born, no? When you take these people and you stop the slave trade, what do you have? You have a population that is going to regenerate itself alone, no? So therefore, this population is going to invent a new system of a, I don't know, a new family, or a new way of creating family, a new way of organizing family, and this will be institutionalized. It has to be institutionalized. And it has been working from 1791 up to now and quite, uh, I would say, stable, you see. So this is exactly what is the total freedom, the freedom of inventing things that does not exist before, of institutionalizing these things. And you just don't care if the state or the church bless it. Or there's a code to help. You just don't care. You manage your life parallelly to that. This is very important. This is, to my mind, the freedom, the most audacious freedom we could have if we could just try to imagine things. And if we could have a new generation, because mine is going out, now coming in and trying to codify those inventions we have. No, and then we'll see if we can put that in codes uh, of law. No, but for the time being, if we could make the in, the inventory of so many things we have invented, and that the West is now discovering. When I'm in the West, I should say the dominant West, because the the the, the poor West, the dominated West, now is more or less living like us. Mm. Mm. And so one of the things that this question of um, dreams brings up also is the question of hope. Um, and, and I don't take for granted that everyone has, you know, hope, honestly, um, in, in, the, in this way. So um, uh, take this on if you'd like. Um, so especially in a year like this one, as tumultuous um, and bloody really as 2020 has been, um, what, if anything, keeps you hopeful? You see, uh, first of all, sometimes intellectuals, academia, people thinking, no, we we are so so, uh, I would say, vulnerable, so close to the crisis that we forget that all step we have made forward, we made it forward because the dominant system was in crisis. Haiti is independence. You cannot understand it without the, the French the French Revolution. You cannot understand it with the, I would not even say crisis, the chaos of France, you know what I mean, that allows us to move forward. So I agree. Today we are in a tremendous crisis, and poor Haitian, I cannot tell you nowadays in what situation we are. But on the other hand, we from the academia, we should realize that I don't see how Haiti will not be in crisis. If the U.S. is in crisis, if we are on a colony of the U.S., you said, I mean, how could we be stable with norms, with uh, 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 respecting accepted ideas and moving forward quietly if our metropolitan country, I mean, it need not to be formal, no, is in such a mess, 
because that's the case of the U.S. Okay, so if I had my way, I would like to have my colleagues to sit down and to what can we do while the U.S. cannot do anything? I mean by that, when the U.S. is in trouble with their internal problems, no, this is how we made the independence. You see what I mean? Toussaint and so on and so forth, and Dessalines and Petro and Rigo, they were fighting all around. Ask yourself, what was uh, normal Haitian thinking of Santonax and Duville? They would say, who? They don't care less about Santonax or Edouville. You know what I mean? It is not that there was a set of problems. in Because there was a set of problems in the highest spheres, no? Down there, we were organizing a new way of living. We were organizing the counter-plantation system because the plantation could not work properly. Okay, so now we have liberalism, no? having a tremendous set of trouble now. They just cannot even have a normal election. They cannot even have a democracy the way they're proposing democracy. And this is not only for the U.S. You can look at other countries. No? They have problems. So why not we think of a way of moving forward without imitating them? You're following me. No? This is where I'm not so sure that uh, we do not have hope. On the contrary, we are live. When I say we do not, we are not aware of the fact that most of our people are living, are creating life, no, during the crisis, and that the crisis, in fact, maybe is offering possibilities of invention, of research, of moving forward. That our people would profit much more if we were thinking. In the same way they are thinking, how shall we move forward? Because no matter how you take the history of oppressed people, no, we are the producers of life. We are the producers of a joy. We are the producers of samba, of calypso, of salsa. Of there is not one single music of the modern time that is not produced by Mestizo people. You know what I mean? And everybody will agree that Mestizo people has been since, say, 1492, uh, the most oppressed people around. Nonetheless, joy comes from us. Music comes from us. Really, call it jazz, call it samba, call it, call it tango, call it whatever you want to call it. We can produce joy. No? Okay. It's not easy it's not easy. We cannot see it. We cannot codify it. We cannot feel it. We are living with a lot of anxiety because, exactly, we are this little crust on the top of the iceberg and we are more fragile. We are more... We reflect the crisis. We say reflect. The crisis is more, is more visible in us. No? While downstairs, down lower, no, the troop, the troop, the poor people are fighting and are moving forward and are taking, are taking advantage, no, of the crisis of the higher spheres, no. So therefore, I do. I, it's not that I see hope. It is that uh, I think that it is important for us, from time to time, to detach ourselves from the day to day. Uh, problems, no, and see it 
on a on a on a long term or medium term vision. Mm. There it is. That that's Laurent. It's, it's going to be hard to to, to follow, but uh, you know, I, I definitely would love to learn more about you know what what brings you hope at this point too. And I think it might actually just be from what he just said. For all we know, I think I'm going to just yeah. I'm going to just let that stand. I think, I think Jean should, I, I, yeah, I love what he said and I, I agree. I think um, there's so much possibility and, and, and that really has to do with in some ways, just maybe recognizing uh, what is possible or what has always been possible in a certain way. Um, what has been made possible in these, in these contexts. And I, I think that's, yeah, that, that is a great place to, to maybe rest on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, got a, got a couple more questions. We're going a little bit longer, but th- they're just this conversation is just so, so uh, damn generative. My goodness. Um, so, you know, for both of you, uh, you're both important chroniclers of the Haitian past and really of the present as well, to a degree as well, which is, I think, also important. Um and and so, can you describe to the vis- uh, to the visitors, well, the visitors of the conversation, but the listeners of the conversation, um, what it means for you all to chronicle this important history uh, of of Haiti's people? What does it mean for y'all both to be one of the important chroniclers of, of such an important history for for really all of us? Well, actually, Adam, this is what gives you a reason to live. Because if you pay attention to what's going around, you want to kill yourself. You know, you have to keep studying and looking how you come forward, how you exist, how you create life, how you move forward in spite of everything. Because, for instance, when I tell my my students sometimes, once I told some student of secondary school, listen, I say, your situation, isn't it better than the situation of the enslaved? I mean, there were people of your age, 18, 19, no? And they bring them over there and they have them the sugarcane plantation and heating them up, having them cutting sugarcane, etc. You are at school, you even have shoes, <laughs> etc. So, and they went through and they go, they went forward. So why don't you go forward? Why don't you find a way of moving forward? Okay, okay, stop complaining. Do something about it. What is it that I am going to do? How can I tell you? I don't know what situation... You, in what circumstances you're going to negotiate your way out. But the need for negotiating your way out is something that should be obsessing. You should look for that because this is your will, this is your power, and this is your possibilities, even though it looks to you uh, uh, a cul-de-sac, a, 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 a dead-end street. No, but mm-hmm. you have to find a way through because this is what brings you here. We came... We were put into a dead-end street and we moved forward. You see what I mean? We mm-hmm. moved forward. I mean, look at any, 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 any a, a group in America of oppressed people. They are moving forward. It is not that they are happy about what's going on precisely. Because they are not happy of what's going on, they are trying to find a way to get out of it. So, I don't know. I mean, this is what keep me keep me alive. The day... I, I would really uh, 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 lose that that uh, that desire to fight, but I did. 
long time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, that that's that's definitely an important one. That's definitely an important one, and uh, and yeah, just the the importance of um, being a chronicler means that you, in a way, you have the keys to hope for other people um, through continuous uh, study and storytelling, um, which I think is important for for all of us. Um, it's why I, I'm glad that the that the the Haitians of decolonial history was written the way it was um, and translated the way it was because there's hope peppered throughout the text, the entire text. Um, and that no matter what chapter you pick up, uh, reading from, you're going to find something to, to maybe make you want to get a couple shots of whiskey like I did. Uh, but others <laughs> it's like, it, it's just possible, you know, there, there, there is a uh, beauty in that, um, uh, in the beauty and the possibilities that, that Haitian history provides to us all. You see, um, Adam, so I'm sorry to interrupt this with the recording. Yeah. I, I have to go to a meeting um, at noon or that started at noon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, no, no problem. So uh, this is actually a, a great way to end. And so um, both of you, thank you so much for taking Adam. the time to discuss such an amazing book. And uh, like I said, sorry for going a little over, but um, hopefully uh, once this gets uh, put into the world that everyone will will definitely uh, enjoy it. And so I uh, hope that you all have a phenomenal day and uh, look forward to speaking more to y'all very, very soon. Take good care. All righty. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem at all. And honestly, that is a phenomenal uh, way for us to end up our, our conversation to conclude uh, the discussion here today. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Jean and uh, Laurent, for taking the time to discuss such a beautiful book and uh, to also have both of you in discussion throughout because I think that we're all better off not only for the book being in the world, but for both of you to dialogue back and forth about the publication process of the book and also your own uh, friendship as well. And so I I really appreciate you all. And so please y'all go out and get this amazing book, The Haitians, A Decolonial History, uh, from UNC Press. And if if you can, please buy from independent bookstores. We need, we need, we need, and we must support them, especially in, during this COVID era. And so um, if y'all like this episode, rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to New Books in African American Studies and the New Books Network as well. Please, please do. Until next time, folks, this is your host, Adam McNeil, signing off, over and out.